Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. I'm going to be um, doing a little bit different today than my usual style of teaching. You can see that there are not a lot of fill-ins. I, uh, I'm going to share something that um, for some of us, it'll, we'll have to be like a Berean and say, hmm, I need to study about that. But I'm going to use what we call in theology a contextual exegesis, which means I want to draw the passage out of scriptures as it's in context. And I'm going to be looking in John chapter 14, 16, 17, and part of 20. If you want to go there, we'll be looking at a lot of scriptures. When I first heard this revelation, received this revelation, and been studying it out <clears throat> for the last couple of months, I, uh, all of a sudden things just began to make clearer and clearer to me as we're talking about since we started on Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection changes everything. Say that with me. The resurrection changes everything. So before I get to John 14, I've got to lay some groundwork. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, so um, you may have to go back online and watch this again and, and uh, for, to get everything that's there. But I believe that God will speak to us. Uh, can we pray? Father, we approach your word today, and sometimes we've read a passage over and over and over and over. And then when you send us back in for deeper study, looking that in context, you begin to reveal some other things to us. But Lord, we just know today the only thing that matters is that we have a God, a Savior who lives who died for our sins, rose again to give us a fresh start, a new beginning. And I just pray today that you'll give me the right words to say. Uh, don't let me say things I shouldn't say, but open our eyes. Give us hungry hearts today as we just uh, look at a little bit different teaching today than usual. In your name, amen. So I'm going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. I hope that's all right with you. But I want to start off uh, laying some groundwork in, John, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6. This is when Jesus was tempted. And uh, the devil said to him in Luke 4 and 6, All authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered. If you want to write in the margin of your Bible, the word delivered there would be given over. This has been given over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. How did he get dominion? How did he get authority? Well, in Genesis 1 and 28, we know that that authority was given to Adam and Eve. It said, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have what? Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said to Adam and Eve, I give you authority, I give you dominion over everything. I want you to take what you see here in the Garden of Eden, and I want you to reproduce that <clears throat> throughout the rest of the world. But because they sinned, they surrendered the dominion, the authority over to Satan. And notice, Jesus does not argue with him when he says, all authority is mine and I can give it to whoever I wanted. If that weren't true at that time, Jesus would have said, uh, you're not telling the truth, you're a liar. But now, fast forward a little bit with me. 
after the resurrection, before the ascension of Jesus. Jesus resurrects. Forty days later, he ascends unto the Father. And today we're looking for him to come back, right? One of these days, he's coming back. But in that time, we have what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. Notice what Jesus says. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, read it with me, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now notice, he says all authority now is given to me. When? Now. We don't have to wait till the second coming to, for, to get that authority. We don't have to wait till the second coming to get that back. But that authority was changed on resurrection morning, and the resurrection changes everything. If you believe that today, give the Lord a hand clap. I want to show you something that happened on resurrection day that many people never see. But it, I may stir you up a little bit by your preconceived understanding of some chapters that we often look at. But now again, I'm looking at contextual exegesis, looking at it in the context of where it is. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's talking to them immediately about his, his, uh, his trial, his death, and his resurrection. John 14 Verses 1 and 2. Keep it in context, okay? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The literal word there, and if you have a spirit-filled study Bible, if you'll look in the margin, it tells you that that word is dwellings. Dwellings. The old King James and the new King James are the only translation that uses mansions. It talks about dwelling. In other words, there's a place for you. Say place. So he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Now read this with me. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, when we look at this in the context, uh, many times we've looked at this passage and we think that it's talking about the second coming of Jesus. I've actually preached that myself. But when the Lord began dealing with me, and when I began to see this revelation, to hear this revelation, and he began to pour into me to look at in context, look at this, he's talking about in just a few days, I'm going to be crucified. And he says, I'm going away, and I'm coming back. I will die, but I will resurrect. And uh, I believe that he's talking to his disciples. Now, I believe in the second coming of Jesus, but I believe this passage is more deep than what we've ever imagined before. He said, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to go through a trial. I'll be crucified, but I will resurrect. He said, I'm going to prepare a dwelling, a place for you. Forget about this image that we have that Jesus is in heaven and he's building a mansion. Every time somebody gets saved, he builds another mansion. And one of these days, after everybody gets saved that's supposed to get saved and all the mansions are built, then he's going to come back. But I want you to keep this in context for a minute. And look at this spiritually in context. What he's saying is, you can't have a relationship or a place or a dwelling with Father God because of the sin that's in your life. You'll never get good enough. So I'm going to go prepare myself as an offering for your sin to be taken care of so that you and the Father can have a relationship and you can have a place with Him. Now look at verses 25 through 29. Now just hang with me. 
Right now, some of this will be a little foggy to you. But by the time we get to the end, you'll see how that it all fits in context. And the Lord's going to help us to understand that the, the resurrection changes everything. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 25 through 29. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. While being present with you right now. In other words, I'm preparing you for something that's immediately going to happen. But the helper... Now, in just a minute, he's going to talk about two things. The Holy Spirit, the helper, and peace. Two things I want you to remember. Holy Spirit and peace. What do I want you to remember? Look at your neighbor and say, remember, Holy Spirit and peace. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, goes back to verse 1. What's getting ready to happen will cause trouble, doubts in your heart. But don't let that trouble get the best of you. Neither be afraid. Verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. Could he be talking here about the death and the resurrection rather than the second coming? When you look at this in context, he said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. He says, if you love me, you would receive me because I said, I'm going to my father. In other words, guys, I've got to go prepare a place for you so that you can have a relationship with my father. Now, verse 29 is the key for us to understand that he's talking about the resurrection here rather than the second coming of Jesus that we're looking forward to today. Verse 29, and I've told you before it comes, I've told you before you're going to witness in the next few days, my trial, my death, and the resurrection. I'm telling you this in advance. So when it happens, you might what? You might what? I'll tell you, listen, this has got to be talking about the resurrection because, listen, at the second coming of Jesus, people are not going to have to believe then. They're going to be made to believe. Even atheists will believe. The scripture says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He says, so I'm telling you what's going to happen so that when it happens, you don't doubt, but you believe. I'm going away, but I'm telling you this, so when it happens, you'll know. Remember, peace and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, flip over there with me. John 16, 16 through 22. A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now, this makes a whole lot more sense. He's saying, in a few hours, I'm going to be delivered over to the scribes and the Pharisees for a trial. A little while, you won't see me. But in a few days, you're going to see me in a little while. That makes a whole lot more sense than 2,000 plus years for the second coming. He's talking in context about what's going to happen in his death and his resurrection. A little while, less than a day, you won't see me. But a little while, a few days later, you'll see me again. Do you see that? Yeah. 
Then some of his disciples said to themselves, What is this that he says, A little while, and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he says, A little while? We don't know what he's saying. You ever notice that sometimes the disciples were just kind of thick? A lot like me. Maybe you. I don't know. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves what I said a little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. Keep this in context. Now watch. The classic interpretation talks about the second coming of Jesus. But when Jesus ascended back to the Father, the disciples didn't stand there and weep and lament. They were staring upwards, and the angel said, Hey, why are you staring looking up? They weren't weeping and lamenting, but they were looking, and he said, Now listen, this same one is coming again. But at this time, he's talking about the death and the resurrection. It says, you will leap, weep, and lament, but the world will rejoice. The world rejoiced when he was crucified. Not when he ascended, but when he was crucified. Now, that's what's happened. And we're going to see uh, in, in verse 21, he talks about a woman giving birth. Look at verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again. again. He's saying, guys, in a few days, I'm going to see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. I want us to see this. I want us to understand a greater appreciation of the, of the, imp, imp, the impact of the resurrection and how much that Jesus spent time just trying to help them to understand the importance of the resurrection because it changes everything. Now, let's fast forward to the resurrection day, John 20 and 1. John 20 and 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. When did she go to the tomb? Of the morning. Say it with me. She went of the morning. Let's look at verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet. I wish I had time to unfold this symbolism to you. It's a picture of the Old Testament and what's in heaven, the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, an angel is at one end and an angel at the other end, and the presence of God was in the middle. Wow! There's so much in this passage, so much that we can see. It said, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where you've laid him. Now, look how strange this next verse looks. Now, when she had said this, she turned around, and she saw who? Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. I mean, when you read something like that, have you ever asked yourself, why didn't she recognize Jesus? I mean, she was one of the ones who took him down off the cross. <clears throat> I heard a preacher say, well, the reason she didn't recognize him is because of his body was bruised and battered and all that. But 
That couldn't be because she helped take him down off the cross. Now, she's been with Jesus for over three years of his ministry. He had a little over a three and a half year ministry. And uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 2 says, many of the women walked with him and the disciples from the very beginning of his ministry. So she had been with Jesus. She had heard Jesus. She had talked with Jesus for some three years. But now she doesn't recognize him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Look, she doesn't even recognize his voice either. She supposing him to be who? You ever seen a gardener? They're always kind of dirty, aren't they? Because they work in the dirt. Filthy. I'm reminded of a verse that says, Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took on himself the filth of our sin. She doesn't recognize him This is in the morning. And she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. I don't know. You have to ask him when he gets to heaven. What did he do that opened her eyes? And she turned, and she looked at him. Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Watch this. Jesus said to her, and you know what she was doing when she recognized who it was, she was going to embrace him. And Jesus says, do not cling to me. Now that word cling in the Greek is more often translated touch. It's used 36 times in the New Testament. It's used in reference to the woman said that if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? It's the same phrase. It's not grabbing and holding to and clinging to. It's just that if if I could just, if I could just touch him. But Jesus says, as she's advancing towards him, woman, don't touch me. Don't, don't touch me. Don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. Again, we understand then 40 days later, he's going to ascend to his father. But there's something happens on this ascension day, on this resurrection day. Everything changes. I mean, those of you that are Bible scholars understand the, the, the symbolism that's here. Then the Old Testament, the high priest, when he would offer a sacrifice, he would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would immediately go into the Holy of Holies before he did anything else. He would take that precious blood into the Holy of Holies. He didn't allow anyone to approach him. He, everybody had to stay away. The most important thing is that when he had that lamb that was sacrificed, he had to immediately take that blood and put it on the mercy seat so that the sins of Israel could be atoned for another year. But here is Mary. She greets her high priest. He's risen from the tomb and is about to take the precious blood from the cross and place it on the altar on heaven to atone for man's sins eternally forever and ever and ever. That's a good place to give him a hand clap. He says, but I go to my brethren. He says, I want you to go tell the boys. I am ascending. In the Greek, that's in the present tense. He's saying, right now, I am ascending. Now look at this. And you see this. He said, I'm going to prepare a place. Now, he lets her in on that. He says, I'm going to my father, 
And because I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's going to be your father. I'm going to my God, and because I'm preparing a dwelling place for you, he'll be your God. Hallelujah. Then the same day at evening. Where's he been all day? Where did he say he was going? To the Father. So where's he been all day? He's been with the Father. Of the morning, don't touch me. I'm ascending to the Father. The afternoon, he comes back. What did he say? On that same day, Mary, that morning, don't touch me. But as he came back, being the first day of the week, look at the scripture. When the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. That resurrected body doesn't need a door. He just stood in the midst of them. And he said, peace be to you. Remember two things he said he would give? What? What are the two clues? Holy Spirit and peace. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And a few days later, he says to Thomas, stretch out your hand and touch me. That morning, he said to Mary, don't touch me. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Look at verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father hath sent me. Look, he's been in the presence of the Lord all day. And now the Lord has received his sacrifice. And now the Lord sends him back with the peace and sends him back with this Holy Spirit. He says to them, receive, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going away. You're going to be troubled a little bit, but I got to get it right for you so that you can have a relationship with the Father and the Father will send me back. He'll send me back with peace that will be everlasting and eternal for you and he'll send me back to bring the power of the Holy Spirit in you and with you for the rest of your life. He said, I told you this would happen. Here's the verse that will help us to understand what happened. It's Hebrews 9 and 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place for all, having obtained eternal redemption. When he comes into your heart and into your life, you have what kind of redemption? Not an in and out. Today I'm saved, tomorrow I'm not sure. I'm not sure, I'm not sure. It's an eternal redemption. Say eternal he entered the holy place, heaven. The high priest placed the blood on the holy of holies. Sprinkled the blood that he shed at Calvary. Ephesians 4, 8 and 9 gives us a little more insight of what's happening, okay? I, I want to look at what happened on this resurrection day and, and in between the death and the resurrection. Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, that's Jesus, he led captivity captive. <clears throat> he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth. So here's what happens. Jesus dies on the cross. It is finished. They take his body down, but his spirit goes immediately into the bowels of the earth. And there, there is Satan with the keys that he took from 
Adam and Eve, they surrendered. And just a short version of this, Jesus walks up to him in his domain and said, Dude, give me the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You have no more right to hold those. Give me those keys. And then it says that he led captivity captive. Now, who is that he led? People say, well, he had a revival in heaven and they got a, in hell and they got a second chance. No. Remember when, 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 when Lazarus, when the rich man died, uh, he was in torment and he looked over into the holding place where the Old Testament saints were. And he saw Abraham, and he said, uh, look, would you, would you go just, just help me out and help my brother? You see, in the Old Testament, their faith looked towards the coming of Jesus and the cross. In the New Testament, we look back to the cross and the coming of Jesus and the atoning of his blood. And so here's all of these Old Testament saints. They couldn't get to heaven. Because they didn't have access. Because of sin in their life. But now Jesus is there. The one that died for their redemption. And he says to them. Hey boys. Gals. It's time. I'm taking you home. I'm taking you to heaven. You believed. You believed in the Old Testament. And now I'm the fulfillment of that. The Messiah. And I'm going to lead the captivity captive. And I'm going to take you to heaven. He's going to lead them to heaven. But he says to them. First of all, i got to stop by the earth. And i got to talk to Mary one more time. Because I told the disciples over and over what would happen. But everybody knows, if you want something done right, you got to ask a woman to do it. Maybe some of the Old Testament saints said, well... As you got to stop over in heaven, as you got to stop over on earth, could we walk around a little bit? Say, so, oh, I never heard of that. Oh, look here. Matthew 27, 52, 53. And the graves were opened. See what happened? Their bodies that were held in hell, uh, that were held in, in uh, the lower parts of the earth, were resurrected with their bodies. And now they came out of the graves, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, died, were raised, coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can't you imagine? Hey, over there's where I used to play ball. Yeah, over there. Hey, look, there's a restaurant there where I used to just camp out. Look at all of that. And they were there while Jesus is conversing with Mary that we saw just a few minutes ago. And then when he finishes with that, he goes to the Father to offer the sacrifice of his atoning blood. Now, let me help you. John 12, 31. Now, the judgment now is a judgment of this world. Say now. So many times people are saying, well, all the judgments happened after the second coming of Jesus. No, there's something that happens on resurrection day. There's a judgment that happens on resurrection day. Now is a judgment of the wor this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, not 2,000 years later as in Revelation, which is the white throne judgment and the other judgments, but something is happening now. I'm taking back dominion and authority to my kingdom to be established. Now, don't you wish there was a place in the Scripture that would just give us a greater understanding of what happened on that day? I'd like you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. 
When you interpret prophetic books like Daniel, you can never interpret them linear. You can never say, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But prophetically, here's what's happened. An event happens, and you see it from this direction, from this direction, from this direction, from this direction. Now, this particular passage is used many times when it talks about people apply this to the book of Revelation and the judgment that is there. It could be. But let me, let me just submit to you today, there's a greater understanding in this than just a judgment that's going to happen in the future. Daniel 7, 9 through 13, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, God's thrones. And the Ancient of Days was seated. The Ancient of Days is Father God. Who did Jesus say that he was going to? The Father. His garment was white as snow. His hair was the head of wool. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see God? And his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. That's a million. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That's a hundred million. And the court was seated. And the books were open. People say, oh, there it is. The books are open like in Revelation. There are books that will be open in the future. A great white throne judgment is coming. But Jesus said, now, on this resurrection day, there is a judgment coming that has to take place for the kingdom of God, the dominion, the authority to be established on this planet earth. And if we don't grab that, if we don't understand that, we're going to spend all of our time struggling and thinking the devil has more power than he has, that, that we can't see the kingdom established here and now. Look at this. And the books were opened. Verse 11. And I watched them because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. People said, see, see there, it's talking about the book of Revelation. But in Daniel 7, there are four beasts. And this is just the first one that God, that Jesus overcomes. And I'll tell you what was destroyed on that day. On that day was destroyed 2,000 years ago, sin and its dominion over you. Remember Romans six fourteen: For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but you're under grace. As for the rest of the beast, they had their what? Dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. You see... Satan's been lying to you that he still has all dominion and he has all power. He and the other beast, their life was prolonged for a season and a time, but yet their dominion, their authority was taken away from them because of Jesus Christ and the victory of his blood. Here's Jesus coming to the Father, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Who did he take with him to heaven? The Old Testament saints. Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, talks about those saints. But Hebrews 12 and 1 
calls those Old Testament saints a what? Great cloud of witnesses. You know what they saw on that day, Daniel saw? He saw Jesus ascending with a great cloud of Old Testament witnesses coming to the judgment time when Satan would lose his dominion over this planet Earth. In Jesus' name. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought near, brought near before him. Then to him, <laughs> then to him, Jesus was given authority, dominion, and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That happened over 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, Mary, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the holy place to put the blood on the, on the altar on high. But now look at verses 21 and 22. And Daniel said, I was watching at this judgment. And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the ancient of days, God himself... came and judgment was made in the favor of the saints most high and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom we don't need to possess the kingdom at the end right now we're here to establish his kingdom he said pray thy kingdom come thy will be done but you got to understand what happened here it's the court of heaven and on one side are the saints, not able to come in yet. And on the other side is Satan. And the Ancient of Days looks. He looks at the saints. And he looks at Satan. In the middle, he looks at the bruised, bloody, battered son who gave his life and his blood. And he says... Saints, you win. Satan, you lose. The dominion will be established on the kingdom of this earth. And the kingdoms of this earth shall become his kingdom. Amen, 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 amen. 2,000 years ago, the Ancient of Days walked in and the judge walked and he looked and he said, this changes everything. The older I get, the more I realize that someone may be hearing the message of Jesus Christ for the first time or someone for the last time. What are you going to do with him today? You know, there's three things you need in life. You need a good friend. You need forgiveness. And you need a future. And Jesus offers all of those to you today. He wants to be a friend that will never leave you. He wants to give you forgiveness. And he wants to give you a future. You say, oh, Terry, what's the takeaway that I need today? The main thing is this. Jesus got dominion back. And the way that dominion was given away with Adam and Eve is the same way that, you see, legally, the enemy has no right over you today. He's a liar. He tries to lie to you like he lied to Adam and Eve. He'll say to you, you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You're never going to get ahead. Your marriage will never be what it should be. And when you believe his lie, he has dominion over you. Not, he doesn't have the power of that, but you give it to him. 
But I believe today in the light of this teaching, in the light of the Holy Spirit, I believe there are those of you that will say today, you know what? I'm not going to give it away anymore. I'm going to take back dominion and authority of my life because of what Jesus Christ did. Today's the day for me to have a fresh start, a new beginning, a do-over in His presence. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you today that the judgment of victory, dominion, it's not something for the future, but it's for now. We can have dominion over sin, sickness, disease. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your heart and into your life, or if you say today, you know what? I've walked away from God, but today I want to come back to Him. I want to have that authority of His established in my life, and I'm not going to believe the lies of Satan anymore. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now and say, Terry, please pray for me today. That's what I need today. I need his friendship. I need his forgiveness. I need the future. Thank you, sir. Other today, just lift your hands. That's me. That's me, Terry. Would you pray for me? Thank you over here. Thank you. Others today, thank you, ma'am. Just very proudly, thank you today here in the back. Thank you over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you pray this prayer with me today? Father God, thank you today for loving me, for going to the Father and making a place for me. I can be redeemed today because of your precious blood. I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse me today that I can live for you. Fill me with your spirit and fill me with your peace. In Jesus' name. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps will be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.